Welcome, everyone, to another episode of POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Dude, I'm doing great. This was an absolutely fantastic weekend. Everything just went well. It was productive and relaxing and fun, so I'm feeling great and relaxed for the week. How about you? Oh, God, no. I've been just on Twitter constantly for like the past 24 hours, just like trying to get everyone to understand MakerDAO in the ways that they do not. It's been... uh, I've tried to put the team on my back, but there's just so many people who don't understand it. It's been frustrating. I feel like it's good, man. You gotta you gotta have people that are questioning you. you. Can't be always like, yeah, to the moon. I mean, it's the fa- it's you're you're right. Like, it's always good to be questioned, but that's not what they're doing. They're just wrong. They just don't understand the system. And maybe I'm maybe I'm being ignorant, assuming that I'm right. But like the. So many people like haven't just connected to all the dots of the various economics of the MakerDAO system. And so it's not me arguing a point. It's me ex- explaining it to them. But then they hear it and they're thinking that I'm arguing a point when I'm actually explaining it to them. But then that just comes back on me looking like a cocky asshole. So, you know. It's really hard to have conversations on Twitter. And I think that's why we do it on POV Crypto. Still, a lot of, a lot of sparks and... Uh... And fire was flying in Twitter all week, especially today for you. Um, yeah, you and I have gotten pretty nippy lately. It's been uh, been pretty fun. Yeah, you've just been spewing foot of your own, so <laughs> you can't es- you can never escape the fud. Oh, it depends on how you define fud, though, doesn't it? I guess, or general misunderstandings of how things work. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so let's go through some of these. We're going to start start this episode by talking about the maker stability fee. Uh, so, like the biggest the biggest fud, I guess you would call it, was that maker governance has raised the stability fee to seven point five percent, which is pretty high when you consider that it started at 05 percent. So you know it's gone up like fifteen times. Uh, so that's a lot, and now it's no longer like this magical amount of of uh interest that you must owe to the maker dow system in comparison to interest you would owe a bank for a loan like 0.5 percent is, is like a magical cryptocurrency type number that you wouldn't see anywhere else but now we're at 7.5 percent which is like a pretty good loan but not very good if it's collateralized etc cetera, etc cetera. uh so like we're back into like amounts that we're used to from the outside world right and so people are like people are coming in and spreading their fud about like 7.5%, you know, you're you're cutting out so many people out of the system. Like this is unfair. This is people are just like wanting to to take cut take profits for their rent seeking unnecessary token. Like 7.5% is way too high for the average person, blah blah blah. I'm going to close out my CDP. And I'm like that's the point. Like it's supposed to get high enough to for you to be incentivized to close out your CDP. Not everyone but some people are supposed to, you know, and when the stability fee goes from 0.5% to 2.5% to 3.5 to 7.5, along those that path, some people are supposed to flow, throw up the flag and be like, all right, this is my stop. I get off here. Like the cost of capital is now too high. I'm going to buy back die off the secondary market so I can close out my CDP because I don't want to pay for this 7.5% fee because that's just too much. And because of their buying back all this die, especially whales, right? Especially whales who have like millions and millions of outstanding die. Like they're the ones who are most impacted. So they they do really feel the pressure of a 7.5% increase or 7, 7.5% total fee. And so they buy back the die off the secondary market, which brings that die from 96 cents where it was back up to a dollar. Uh, and 96 cents is not what you want die to be uh and that's like the other misconception that i think people are forgetting like the the main product of MakerDAO isn't cdps like the, it's not for you to get a loan based off your ether the main product of MakerDAO is a stable coin that's worth one dollar and if it can't produce that then it shouldn't be able to produce anything else and so like the order of operations is producing die at one dollar and then we can talk about it being a credit facility for those that have collateral. Uh, and so I was trying to explain this to so many people and they're like, no, the MKR token is like useless. MKR people don't even deserve the fees because 
it's Pete Holders that's bearing the brunt. All this stuff, all this stuff. Very frustrating. So if you could, if you could, kind of combat one piece of fud and just instill this knowledge into everyone from here on out what would it be the first and foremost role of maker dow is to make sure that die is worth one dollar and all levers at its disposal that it has will be twiddled with and tweaked in order to change the value of die so that it will be one dollar so cdps people that have cdps they also owe it to people who buy their die that the die needs to remain one dollar so we will sacrifice the service of maker for the cdp holders to promote the product of die as one dollar and that die is the thing that is held most sacred in maker not cdp holders do you think that this dilemma is because of faulty game theory uh elaborate on what the game theory would be so, I mean, I'm not sure. I don't know if Maker could work without a governance token. It seems like it requires a lot of tinkering for the system to work. I think, personally, this idea of a stablecoin is a short-sighted idea, personally. So, therefore, that's why you need so much tinkering in, o- in order to um, enable it and make it exist. So, I don't really see a wor- like a system that works exactly like DAI without maker working just because it like the system itself requires governance but with that being said is do you think that a system built this way is running into this problem now because the incentives aren't aligned like while you do say that yes diving at one dollar is the number one thing and everything else after that is second you know is treating cdp holders as second class citizens to die holders or die um what's actually good for the system or does it actually even work well first off the the governance of maker dow like saying that the maker dow system is treating cdp holders as second class citizens i don't think it is right because what maker dow governance does is it tries and balances the demand for die versus the supply of cdps and so it's it's not MakerDAO that's treating CDP holders as second-class citizens. It's the market throwing up a big signal that it doesn't value a die at a dollar, but instead it values it at a 4% discount. And that's what signals to MakerDAOs like, hey, you know, CDP holders are actually getting too much privilege. Like it's, there's leveraging ETH at 0.5% is way too much of a, of a privilege. Like make that cost more because we don't value die right now. So it's not maker DAO that's signaling CDP holders should be second class citizens. It's the market. And because the market is signaling that there's too much CDPs and too much die uh, versus the demand for die, it's signaling to maker DAO governance that like, hey, there's an oversupply of DAI. And like, we have to remember that an oversupply of DAI is systemic risk, which is also the number one thing that MakerDAO is supposed to control for because systemic risk is a risk to DAI holders. And like I said, DAI holders are the the first class citizens of MakerDAO, right? Like that's, without a, a proper stable coin, MakerDAO isn't anything. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's one of the it's just a very simple equation you know, like if die is below one dollar stability fee should go up and it's not it's not a business decision right like it we're in the maker dow governance meeting we no one was talking about like hey like if we raise the stability fee we can collect more fees and that will be good for mkr it's hey our product is is being shitty right now and so we need to do something to make our 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 we need to answer the call of the market to make it not shitty so here's something to kind of think about as well. And I mean, honestly, it is pretty consistent with how decentralization works as far as I'm concerned. But decentralization, if you would even consider Maker decentralized, is extremely expensive, right? So if you look at Maker's competitors, right, businesses that will lend you USD or stable coins for your Ether or Bitcoin, you know, you look at Salt, it's at 5.99%. And you look at uh, and you look at BlockFi, and they're at six point two percent, and they do not require three x collateral. So while they are centralized, they are able to provide a more competitive product compared to seven point five percent and three x uh, collateral. Make or die, or make or die. 
I think in, in this context, we get to balance out the cost of decentralization. And here, the cost of decentralization is the collateral, right? Like, because we are decentralized, we have to over collateralize. And Salt and, and BlockFi, those people make you collateralize as well. Like, that's not a margin loan either, to my knowledge. Um, MakerDAO is not, no. Yeah, it's not. Just not 3x. It's just, yeah, it's lesser than that. Um, and that's a risk that they're taking. Uh, but the extra collateral required in MakerDAO versus its competitors competitors is also pretty well, in my opinion, balanced out by its permissionlessness, right? And so I'm a consumer of MakerDAO. I have a CDP. I've gone and gotten a CDP because I get to do it from my couch with no account, no KYC. Um, and I can, I can also pay back the loans on my own terms whenever I see fit. Um, maybe, maybe the competitors to MakerDAO also let you do that, but... That's definitely one of the big advantages of having a loan with MakerDAO is you can decide to draw and pay back die in the same day, a hundred times a day. Uh, and no one can tell you yes or no. Like that's just, you control, you control your loan in the same way a bank controls your loan. Like you control your own loan and that's a huge advantage. The other thing I wanted to touch on is like a lot of people are, are saying, uh, spreading FUD about MakerDAO saying like, oh, they have to raise or lower the stability fee like so often, like what's going on? DAI, DAI is down to 96 cents. It's a terrible stable coin. Well, we're, we also have to remember that we are in like the first cycle, the first iteration of MakerDAO. And we're also in a, a time where Ether is in its first cycle, which means that it's going to be in its most volatile state. Cryptocurrencies, as they age and as they grow in market cap, as we've seen from Bitcoin, uh, they they get less volatile over time. And so, as we know, since since cryptocurrencies become less volatile over time, this is actually going to be MakerDAO's like hardest year, right? Ether went from fourteen hundred to to eighty dollars, and now it's back up to one hundred and forty. And that's a, and especially with single collateral Dai, where all of Dai is dependent on ether that's like the that's like expert hardcore mode for die right and so and especially when demand for die is primarily created from uh demand to go leverage long on ether that's like really weird market dynamics because we can't really find much else of a use case for die like we have it on the dydx protocol some companies use it like uh chris chris ellie's company uh, wisp dot money they need die and so like companies like that produce a demand for die if you guys didn't listen to our last episode go check it out chris is one of the one of the few people building a, a company that needs die on a daily basis but there's just not enough of those in comparison to the people that are leveraging long on ether uh, to support like normative demand for die and so especially when you go leverage long on ether and you put $10 million of Ether in, you pull out $50 million of DAI, there's not enough companies like Chris's to suck up that DAI. And so it just sits on the market. And so I don't really expect it to be this drastic in the next cycle because we'll have a more robust economy that can suck up DAI and use it for a better purpose. So I really just expect all these weird dynamics to be just here in this first cycle. And we'll, we'll be more educated next time around as well. So I actually agree with a lot of the things you said especially around patience around the system as well and knowledge around it and you know really kind of finding the balance like these kind of systems you know in my opinion i would say the same things around a lot of the things that people say about bitcoin like it just takes patience and time for uh the market to educate itself but at the same time i do kind of like look at this issue with the inherent uh risk of going leverage long using maker cdps with eth um as being something that could be fundamentally broken in the game theory because the assumption should be that people are going to be you know risky and 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 greedy you know i feel like a lot of the reasons why uh proof of work cryptocurrencies work is because they leverage greed and especially bitcoin in my opinion like you should do exactly what you think is best for you at all times like that's how you help bitcoin is being as greedy as possible right so being as greedy as possible and using your tools permissionlessly hurts the system that like shows me fragility to some degree and again i think the jury is very much still out but you know what i'm seeing right now while you see it as like, yes, success, I kind of see it and it kind of scares me. 
Oh, no, I see actually something that's a huge parallel to what you just said. And so maker token holders who are maker governance, they see everyone going leverage long on Ether and pulling out a ton of DAI and oversaturating the market with DAI. And so there's there's no there's a total. It's not a coincidence that stability the stability fee has gone from 0.5 percent to 7.5 percent when when like 90 percent of CDP holders have leveraged long on on Ether, right? And so so like what you just said, maker holders are doing are being greedy, right? They are saying like you know you know this this isn't good for the maker DAO system that everyone is leveraged long on Ether. Like we gotta we gotta up the uh, costs here. We gotta up the cost of of capital and we're going to do it by get convincing or making people pay us more money. And if they don't want to pay us more money, well, they can stop going leverage long on Ether. If they do want to pay us more money, fine. Like that's their choice. They get to do with whatever money that they see fit. If it's worth it for them, they will do it. But when you, when we have people, you know, throwing up the red flag saying 7.5 is too much for me and they're not going to leverage long on Ether anymore. And then they go and pay back their stability fee to the maker governance, uh, to the maker token, that's just that just seems like a working system to me. Yeah, I mean, I feel like again, this kind of really bounces back to what is your opinion on how scalable governance is in general, right? So, working case of governance to you, for me, kind of looks like oh man, like this is a system that is inherently not as scalable, just because there's so many moving pieces and there's so many like feelings to get hurt I guess and I mean I don't know while I'm saying that like it kind of bounces back at me just because you know with Bitcoin we we often say you know you don't like it you can fork it right you have to convince people to get to consensus and as long as the consensus is with maker to keep it at the one um, you know maybe every you know everything is really at its leverage in order to do that and it doesn't matter who gets marginalized but generally speaking active governance to me like seems like it's counterproductive to using triple entry accounting, which is essentially what blockchains are. Um, so that that's kind of like a big red flag in my book. Yeah, I kind of want to disagree with how complicated governance is, uh, especially over MakerDAO, because like MakerDAO has many different levers it can pull, but it really just has one big one, and that's the stability fee. And there's really only one way to tr uh, to change the stability fee, which is voting with your MKR token. So it's really just a one to one. Like it, it does get a little bit complicated, more complicated when we talk about uh, the foundation, because the foundation pays for risk teams to go out and do in depth analysis, like monitoring every single trade and getting the best data out there to make sure that we actually do know the price of die and actually look at the correlation between the, the stability fee and the price of die. And then the long term proposal is to constantly be paying risk teams regardless of whether they're in crypto or not like we could go out to some you know centralized uh, hedge fund whoever whoever does risk management out in the centralized world and we could just pay them money and we can pay them money out of the stability fee and hire them as contractors for the maker foundation to collect and and present this data to maker governance right so that 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 is complicated but the main tool is you have mkr token there's the stability fee you change the stability fee with the MKR token, and and to me that that kind of is is similar enough to you have this Bitcoin miner, you plug it into the internet, you turn it on, and you act honestly, or if you want to make it more complicated, you can act dishonestly, but it's probably not going to work in your favor. I mean, this is kind of a good transition into you know us talking about you know is voting an attack vector, right? So uh, recently on Twitter, you were saying you know. Maker has all the same proponents and components as Bitcoin saying, you know, this attack vector you illustrate under the, is under the same laws as Bitcoin mining. Skin in the game, incentive to be honest, losing your capital if you burn your own system, and then 6% of the largest entity is pretty damn good. Um, or 6% for the largest entity is pretty damn good. Okay, so yeah, I guess the context with this is... Let's go, let's go through those one by one just to draw the comparisons for people who aren't up to speed with the tweet. What was the first one? So sure. So wait, let's just give some quick context. So pretty much, you know, we were saying we on Twitter, we were arguing about Maker and I was saying that, hey, there's no no one is voting on this to begin with. And then on top of that, when you mix in the fact that there's whales floating around, um, you just cannot trust 
you know, that this is not an attack, right? You can't trust that this is not an attack because there's so few people voting. You're talking about changing the stability fee, right? Exactly. And, and you're talking about no one's no one's voting on this because like half a percent of total make, maker wallets voted on the stability fee change. Is that what you're saying? Something like that. And maybe a better measure would just be looking at what's the percentage of maker that's voting versus mm-hmm. um, the percentage of wallets. Because, you know, wallets being you know generated is absolutely trivial like mm-hmm. yeah wallet as a measure i think is a stupid yeah. measure yeah but generally speaking i'm saying no one is participating and then on top of that there are whales so it's not like no one well, is participating 10 okay. percent of people are participating a, a small it's not no one but it's 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 a smaller ish number 10 percent. yeah nine nine and a half percent so nine and a half percent of total ether is participating total make maker Oh, sorry, sorry, yeah, total makers participating. And then you have 6% sitting with one entity. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but again, it it was a... And then that can change the system. And it, it could change the system. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> well, but then, but then we can talk about mining pools, right? Where like two mining pools could easily take over Bitcoin's, uh, Bitcoin's network. And it's one of also one of those things where like as soon as something malicious actually does happen, the incentive for all that other MKR to come out and to vote on the non-malicious proposal is it doesn't it's not just a little bit it's like the whole entire thing, uh, and so as soon as somebody comes and submits a proposal to reduce the stability fee down to negative one percent, I bet you a lot more MKR would come out and and vote against that proposal. Totally, but that's assuming that an attack is super obvious, right? What if an attack is just social engineering around what the stability fee needs to be? It gets changed, and then it goes years without actually, um, you know, having a noticeable effect or having any like major reaction, right? Like that's kind of how our system works right now is through um, this kind of invisible action by a few people, and you know, it turns out that all the holders are coerced over time. You know, what if there's a social engineering attack that obfuscates what is $1 worth of DAI? Like, over time, a dollar is losing value. Like, does that mean DAI loses value over time as well? Like, again, like, all I'm saying is that these attacks are not going to be super, super obvious. So just saying that, oh, makers can maker holders can jump to defend it at any time, I think is giving a lot of credit where it's not quite due yet. And then on top of that, comparing it to bitcoin mining with you can easily see a double like a uh, a double spend attack like that is super 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 easy to track super transparent and then on top of that it's completely different because it's not changing the foundation of the system all it is doing is submitting you know is validating in you know valid invalid blocks which is an attack on a small portion of the total quantity of bitcoin out there um, and people even argue that it is something that is recoverable from. It's not like rest in peace, Bitcoin, it's over if it got 51% attacked, right? Um, so, I mean, that's, you know, that can be a whole nother conversation, but that's, you know, my general point is that you can't compare them. They're different. Social engineering with these voting systems is a huge, huge risk and it can't be understated. What if the uh, the doubling down on the Bitcoin 21 million is a, actually a social engineering attack that's designed to kill Bitcoin because of the fee market will be unsustainable? Like, and, and my point is, a lot of these social engineering attacks are like super subject, subjective, right? And so like the one social engineering attack, attack on MakerDAO that I think you might be pr- proposing is that somebody misrepresents what the stability fee should be and then they do it so it's like too high right and and you know the stability fee correct whatever god knows that the stability fee should be at four percent and the social engineering comes in and says like you know let's bump it to six percent or or maybe even something crazier and like let's bump it to to eight percent and the the way that maker dow has mitigated this is is they've voted in like this constitution of sorts they've ratified this governance thesis that um, says that MakerDAO governments should depend on scientific governance. And so it's if, if DAI is trading at 95 cents and somebody comes in with a proposal to uh, lower the stability fee and reduce the cost of capital, like that just makes no sense. And so it's actually really, I think it's really easy uh, for you to actually call out a social engineering attack because 
the MakerDAO governance has stated that we are going to be governed by science and we can use it's like it's not complicated economics like this isn't something that we don't understand like blockchains and cryptocurrency and, and governance is is a little bit nebulous true but like basic economics and market forces we do understand that and so like it's like i said earlier like we do know that when die is trading below a dollar the stability feed needs to increase and any proposal that doesn't follow that basic pattern will be understood as a potential attack if that's what what you are worried about and like the the other attack would be like okay well maybe the right answer is to raise it by four percent but the the attack proposal only wants to raise it by two percent well okay well then it's just not enough because it should have been two percent higher and so over time it doesn't work so we make another proposal to do something that works like the fact that it's a data driven process run by scientific governance is a mitigation on that attack I mean, again, I think a lot of that stuff makes sense, but ultimately when it comes to social engineering attacks is that you don't know if you are being attacked and you could be right. Maybe 21 million coins is a social engineering attack, but at the same time, when the code was shipped, had 21 million coins. And then on top of that, there are very, very, very strong, um, strong influences of Austrian economics in the entire Bitcoin foundation and how the, the system was built and the majority of the stakeholders well, what if that's the social engineering attack like what if satoshi is the socially engineering attacker <laughs> i mean again i mean i know i'm being a little bit crazy but like it's one of those things like we don't really know who's right here because it's all subjective like and a, and a, a two equal attacks could go in two different directions and one could be right so ex well, again you don't know when you're being socially engineered especially if you are the victim right because you are being social engineered but the thing is here is the difference here's the difference is that with bitcoin you have to get such wide consensus to make any fundamental change to the consensus rules that it's impossible to change it outside of that what if that's the attack <laughs> well i mean then that means the system's incentives are broken. But the way that this is, look here, here, what I'm saying is that every, like you could say everything is a scam. Everything is an attack, right? But Bitcoin won't change no matter what the attack is. Whereas ETH, Maker, all of those things can change and can be affected by the attack. So that is why I'm bullish on Bitcoin, no matter what you think it is, or no matter what you think of who created it is because of that resilience to change is what makes it dependable. And ultimately, I think that is going to be extremely valuable. These other systems, I just think of as fancy people playing around with fancy triple accounting systems and logic. But I mean, ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, it's not the same as the immutable Bitcoin ledger. So you just illustrated why I think that Ethereum is the right choice and, and on-chain governance because like because Bitcoin we know Bitcoin is going to be the way that it is like let's we can roll the dice and like there's a chance that Bitcoin is actually the attacked chain and it's actually the failure chain and we know that it's not going to change because that is in the governance process of Bitcoin it's like the governance process is that there's no change but with big with Ethereum and Maker these things that are more more accepting of change they they accept the fact that they might have gotten it wrong to to begin with and they're going to grow and develop and change in a way that will promote long-term uh growth and sustainability because they i think i think they're going to be humble in the way that bitcoiners often aren't about their protocol and they're going to be humble with the way that they've designed the system saying we've designed it this way for now as soon as we know that we can design it better, we're going to change for that because blockchains and cryptos are a brand new space and there's no way that we know that we know what's right. So I, I actually agree with the dynamic that you're illustrating. I don't agree that you're right necessarily, but I agree with the dynamic. I think that people in different communities have very different perspectives on what is actually the right way to go about it. So I can say in good faith that the majority of people in the Ethereum community think that the technology is not there yet. We are still figuring out how to scale triple entry accounting systems. People on the Bitcoin community think for the majority, I don't want to speak for the majority of them, but you know, from what I can see, they see, oh my gosh, here is a system that offers objective truth on how many coins exist and who owns them. Let's do whatever we can to make sure that this gets adopted by everyone, right? And they see that as the innovation. They don't see triple entry accounting as the innovation. It is triple entry accounting, blockchains, 
trust chains, time chain, whatever the fuck you want to call it, is just a means to prove that there's 21 million of anything. They're the second class citizen to the first class citizen of 21 million coins. Whatever you want to call it is that 21 million coins is the only thing that Bitcoin is meant to do. And with that reality, that is the innovation, right? So it's just a different perspective. Yeah, I, th I think there's a really cool parallel there with what you just said, whereas Maker is supposed to produce die at $1 above all things, whatever it needs to do to get there, Maker will do that. And Bitcoin will do the same thing for proving that there's only ever 21 million Bitcoins. But at the same time, what is a dollar? A price Can feed. Can you even depend on that? And then, but what happens? Okay, and then you're depending on price feeds? A lot of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's 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 susceptible to change via maker governance, which is also the cool thing. It's like, okay, the dollar is no longer the right choice of currency to be pegged to. Let's produce a new thing to to peg the die to, and let's make sure that thing is also stable. So generally speaking, I like to clarify what we're actually arguing about. So just to be clear, I'm not arguing. I think I think we've moved on from arguing. I think we're just talking. Yeah, about. I mean, I, I don't think that like maker itself is like a bad idea or that it's bad for the world or bad for anyone. I think it's great in seeing people building on it and leveraging it so people can um, can benefit from sovereign money today is absolutely fantastic, right? I think that's all great. But at the same time, if your argument is that maker is going to be the financial system of the world of the future world of the crypto world that this like governance mechanism is scalable forever i have my serious doubts and part of the reason is because of so much complexity as well as so much different moving parts it's inevitable to isolate people and individuals where at least with bitcoin you can't really turn and point at anyone for being isolated right you have to play by the the Nakamoto consensus rules, which are dependable. They are completely transparent, and they're known the entire time. And as long as you don't break those rules, it's valid. And if you do break those rules, then it's, it's unvalid by the system, and that's just it. So I don't think isolating people is the right way to, to view it. It's because when the stability fee goes up and people get you know pushed out of the system— we're not isolating people, we're isolating die. We're saying like the, when uh, the stability fee of 7.5% went into effect, there was 95 million die, and now there's 89 million die. We're not isolating people, we isolated 6 million die to push it out of the system saying, hey, the market doesn't actually want this. It's too much. And as a byproduct, CDP holders saying, whoa, you know, the, the CDP holders that come in and say like, that's too much, those people are, are the, the representation of that the manifestation of that six million die. But it's the it's the die that we're pushing out of the market, not the CDP holders. They're just a proxy. Totally. But from when you actually take the social dynamics into account, you are isolating people. And that's why by inviting as a byproduct, yeah, <laughs> by inviting governance, you are also inviting the fact that you are going to isolate people and that people are governing other people. Right. So Bitcoin removes that factor. There is no governance happening. I don't think. No, I don't think it does, because how much do you for how much do you pay for electricity in San Francisco? I pay a lot. Yeah. You can't Bitcoin mine profitably. You're isolated from that process. So Bitcoin mining is not consensus, whereas running a node is extremely, extremely easy. And that is what enforces consensus. Right. There's a bunch of different moving parts of all these crypto economic systems, and it doesn't make financial sense for every single person to play a role in every single part. I agree with that, but I don't think that that's the same because there's no social governance in Bitcoin that isolates people, whereas there is social governance in Maker that isolates people and that creates an attack vector. I, I think the corollary for isolating people, as in pushing them out of the offering of the system, like part of the Bitcoin system is offering mining rewards to people that play a role in the service. And for Maker, the same thing is you can you are offered a reward, which is extra capital, and you get to go and do whatever you want with that. Uh, but if the competition for that is too high or, or the market dynamics just don't enable the efficiency there, like we're going we're going to reduce that. And that's the same. It's to me, it's 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 the equal because I see so many parallels between Bitcoin and MakerDAO, as we've discussed with my article in our previous episode. I just think that 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 is the appropriate parallel to be drawn here. 
again, I see why you're drawing the parallel, but it's not the same. First and foremost, paying mining rewards is not the job of the network. The job of the network is to continue to grow and to continue to gain security and to continue to incentivize electricity to come to it, right? So the market is what allocates those resources to doing that. And the Bitcoin that is paid out is paid out to those who mathematically do that the best, right? So it has nothing to do with paying out participants. All that it offers is the facts that these Bitcoins exist and that no one can stop you from using it. That is the service that offers to participate in Bitcoin. All you need to do is buy Bitcoin or own Bitcoin. I mean, in general, I think that everyone's going to participate in Bitcoin to some degree because it's going to touch all of our lives to some degree. But at the same time, like there's many, many ways to participate in Bitcoin and mining is just one facet of it. Um, so again, but the thing is, is it is incredibly scalable because it's just a computer system. There's no governance attached to it. That's what makes it great. Well, the governance... Okay, so, so something you said is like, uh, what did you say about mining rewards and, and math, mathematicalness, something? I mean, the mining rewards are, are just paid out to the people that secure the network the best in that, in that you know, 10-minute time. Mathematic, it's mathematically proven because they have to find the hash. So, so yeah, they've, they've taken out a huge level of co- complexity, right? And saying like, okay, all you got to do is plug in your miner and be economically uh, rewarded, right? And so with with maker it's a little bit more difficult where like with 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 bitcoin mining you have this cost of electricity coming out of the wall and so you have to account for that when you plug your miner into it with maker you have this cost of the stability fee coming out of the maker dow system and then when you take your capital and go do something with it like you can't don't get to mathematically calculate your returns but that's kind of what the idea of a human as an individual rational economic agent gets to do with their 7.5% stability fee. They get to go and do that mental gut check that, or an actual robust calculation with the cost of capital and go and take that capital and go out and produce a reward with it. So it's like CDB holders are the miners for the MakerDAO system. They are the economic rational unit that makes the system run. Uh, and then the, the value of the network is also the value of the outstanding die. Um, shit, what else were we talking about? I don't know. We're kind of running into a dead end here with, and we are starting to get to the main differences, right? Where we're about MakerDAO. Like we can draw parallels at the end of the day between MakerDAO and Bitcoin, but at the end of the day, like it, they're entirely different systems that operate with entirely different mechanisms. It's just interesting that a lot of these mechanisms are, have very strong parallels to each other. Yeah. I mean, I- Personally, I think that, you know, it just shows how good of an incentive system Satoshi Nakamoto invented and how he was able to just think so far into the future. And again, if you read his early works, like he dispels a lot of concerns, um, you know, from day one that people are still kind of reverberating. Um, But, you know, the fact that Maker is one of the few projects that is really growing um, and David sees so many... Um, you know, so many things that, uh, you know, are similar, uh, I, I think is a testament to Satoshi. But in general, like, it's impossible to say that they are the same, because there are very specific differences. And I think those differences, you know, like any differences, they just they compound on each other, right? So, you know, it's kind of like the butterfly effect, one small thing has massive, has massive, uh, you know, result on the other end on the output. And, you know, when it looks when it comes to staking, when it comes to governance and comes to all those things, um, I think that they have a massive effect. Yeah, I actually kind of reminded of our episode with uh, Brandon Quidham kind of talking about evolution. Right. And so there there are these things that are very advantageous for survival. And so in Bitcoin mining, it's the cost of electricity and balances out with the rewards coming out of the Bitcoin blockchain to the miners and with MakerDAO, it's the cost of capital and then the rewards of the extra capital that you are able to be get getting from MakerDAO. and then just anyone who's curious about further comparisons between MakerDAO and bitcoin go listen to episode 14 or 15 bitcoin versus MakerDAO. um but we were talking about with brandon quidden this evolutionary aspect of blockchains and crypto economic systems and like we since we see a lot of parallels between these two systems we know that there are these 
fundamental underlying uh, concepts that we know successful crypto economic systems will have. And we can now also see this in proof of stake, right? Cut that part out, cut that part out. Um, and so like, because we saw that it was successful in Bitcoin, we can change it and manipulate it and try it out in a different form. And it's all of a sudden, it's a different, entirely different species. And now it's the MakerDAO species and the same underlying parallels seem to also be working pretty well in the MakerDAO. So it's this entirely new species, but like in the same way where if you go and see like a human hand and you compare it to like a fish wing or a, and I'll insert species here, like a, a lion's paw, you, they, they all have the same patterns, right? They all have the metatarsals connected to, to the other hand bones connected to the, to the you know, they, they all follow these very similar patterns. They're all kind of different shapes and they all kind of work best in their own specific field. Um, but they are, are all basically the same underlying shape. And that just gets me like super riled up about how cool crypto economic systems are. Totally. But I guess just to kind of throw a curveball at you, with that being said, in the world, there's enough food for everyone to eat. But I feel like when it comes to money on the internet, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Yeah. Um, and, and this is kind of the crux of POV crypto and all basic Twitter arguing, right? Is like, is there really enough food out there for all these different various economic systems? And are the various economic systems balanced enough to be sharing it among so many different species? Um, I mean, we can, I, 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 even if I gave out an opinion, I wouldn't really feel too strongly about it. Uh, I do believe that, I do believe that there can't just be this one gigantic God and everything else is killed uh, of a species. But, but at the same time, I don't see it you know, mimicking the ecology we see on planet Earth today with billions and billions of species. Um, I don't, and I don't think anyone can really answer this question. We can all hy hypothesize and, and guesstimate, but at the end of the day, we're just going to have to see it unfold and look at the data that we have. But the data that we that we do have shows that we are trending towards the polycorner world. So I think that's interesting. I don't know. There's actually a recent study where it you just take the real volume and you multiply it by the market cap, and it kind of gives you this idea of volume weighted market cap. And of course, you got to take that with huge, huge, huge grain of salt because you know there's so much volume, even the ones, so much fake volume that even the volume that we think is real and that people like will testify is real from legit companies could still be fake, just more s smartly executed fake volume. Um, but with that being said, if you do, you know, volume weighted market cap, you see very much a Pareto's distribution with eight, with Bitcoin holding 80% dominance for the most part. And then you see a very, you know, similar like, you know, 80, 10, 5, 3, 2, and then huge long tail, right? Um, also, if you look at um, buy support, it's also pretty similar to Pareto's. So it seems like a Pareto distribution makes sense. And, you know, I've read a lot of stuff about the 80-20 rule and power laws and all that kind of stuff. And, I mean, I see it everywhere in my life for sure. Um, so I wouldn't – it doesn't really make sense that that wouldn't continue to be true um, and in everything, including crypto. Well, except for the fact that these systems are so young, right? And I don't even consider like the first seven years of crypto as really crypto being alive yet. There was, it's all kind of just experimentation and really just the genesis. And like, yes, you have to do, you do have to go through those first initial years, but like there's, there's 10, a hundred times as much activity in the last two years as there were in all of the years prior before it. So like now is kind of when I do see crypto really becoming alive. And so I, I think, I think it's just far too early to tell basically. You know, what's really funny is going on Twitter and like looking up legit people like, you know, Charlie Lee, Brian Armstrong, uh, Barry Silbert, people that are like, you know, freaking millionaires have huge successful businesses go to them in 2016 and see the engagement that they get on twitter it's super funny they'll get like five retweets 18 likes <laughs> like can you imagine charlie lee tweeting anything that got that gets fi only five retweets yeah that, that is really funny yeah maybe that'll yeah, be us like one day, half Christian. a million followers or something <laughs> huh maybe that'll be us one day 
<laughs> maybe, maybe. No, I'm still, I'm still on the the five retweet level right now. I'm trying to get the POV crypto Twitter to get have more followers than you. <laughs> you know, if the F heads want to do it, then whatever. I don't really care. Twitter's still fun, and to be honest, I still control it. So y'all don't know how many good accounts I control. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Uh, we d- we definitely. I'm pretty sure we control. I don't want to like, throw this out there too much, but we definitely control a little bit more of the uh, TCR party than our than what is our share. <laughs> You're, did it, you know I nominated you today? No, I don't. I just ignore that when it comes through the DMs. Oh really? Well, no, no, no. You as in CK Snarks, not POV Crypto. You're nominated for the for the list. And oh. You're probably going to get in. Rock and roll, baby. Vote me in, Ethheads. <laughs> Make sure to follow me at CK underscore Snarks. Are we ending this? I don't know. Might as well. <laughs> we have so much more to talk about. I mean, I, we can end it, I guess. Okay, we don't have to end it. We can we can just keep going. You guys, we might not even edit this out. We can just keep riffing, though. So, <laughs> David, I have a question. Is Bitcoin yeah, under me. attack? Well, apparently, because it's apparently always under attack. Bitcoin has an anxiety disorder, bro. I actually was, this is kind of what I've been thinking about lately is because I, uh, for those that don't know, I study psychology and I worked in mental health for a few years. And uh, I've been thinking about like the various collective mental states that come out of Bitcoin and Ethereum, very much aided by Twitter, right? Because Twitter is just like this kind of distributed brain of, of, of a community. And so you get the Ethereum brain from the Ethereum community, get the Bitcoin brain from the Bitcoin community. And in my opinion, Bitcoin has classic anxiety panic disorder. And so it's, it's what I call agoraphobic, right? So it's, it's afraid of the outside. So it goes and hides in the closet and turns and turns uh, the blinds closed and shuts out the light. For those that have watched the movie Benchwarmers, it's that, it's that one guy that's, that's always, you know, afraid of, afraid of the sunlight. Uh, and I mean, the, part of that is the Bitcoiner narrative that the Bitcoin blockchain will never, ever be attacked because it's so incredibly secure because it doesn't go outside. And so it doesn't experiment with anything. It doesn't innovate. It doesn't try anything new. And instead, Ethereum, which in my opinion is much more balanced, you know, definitely wants to be secure. And this is this is when you see a baby learning how to operate in the world. You see this baby kind of like going out in the park with its mother and then the park looks really fun. So it runs out to the park, but then it stops and it looks back at its mother and say, hey, is this okay? Like, am I are we safe? And like, depending on the mother's expression, the baby will feel secure or not secure. And then it'll go out and experiment more with the world. And eventually it just grows up after it reiterates this pattern a bunch saying like, hey, is what I'm doing like safe? Oh, I know I just fell off a tree and broke my arm. Oh, no, that wasn't safe. Let's not do that again, et cetera. And so like I see these classical conditions of psychology it being kind of layered on top of these communities that we see in the crypto world. And to me, the idea that Bitcoin is constantly under attack, which I don't think it is like, please prove me wrong if I if I am. But Bitcoin's just not under attack. And it's it's operating as if it is. And because of this mental state that Bitcoin is in, it's losing itself when it and when its ability to innovate and to experiment with the world and takes take some risks and, and is taking no risks risks and is taking no risks and receiving no rewards. And that's kind of why Bitcoin turns me off. So I think that you're thinking about it way too much. <laughs> and you're trying to like psychoanalyze a bunch of people on Twitter. Like, well, the, it's a network foremost, of communities. These people are, these are people on Twitter. Like they're already more social than the majority. And even if, even if they're introverts, like they're hiding behind a mask. So that way they, they have the confidence to express themselves. But in general, like, there, th- there is a huge, huge, huge unspoken minority that is not on Twitter and has no opinion around this stuff. This is money, okay? And you often can, you know, kind of uh, compare Ether to a commodity, right? And if Ether is going to be a commodity money, then it's not about growing up and becoming an adult. It's literally about securing itself so that way it is something that is a commodity, commodity that is dependable and that we can understand going forward right so like for ether to succeed as money people have to agree to secure it and have to agree to secure millions of dollars of it for other investors right so if we have no idea if you know these businesses that are going to have massive liabilities placed upon them to secure ether have no faith in order to do that that is going to remain something that they can 
put their trust against, then that is going to make it very difficult as a purely digital asset to to compete in the world of money and the world of being a commodity money. Whereas Bitcoin is hyper, hyper focused on being as, uh, I guess, identifiable as humanly possible. Bitcoin just wants to be as identifiable as possible. And this under, this idea that uh, Bitcoin is holding itself back, not taking risks, all that kind of stuff, that is just a complete and absolute misconception, right? So Bitcoin is changing. The way that Bitcoin changes is how can we be more identifiable, efficient, more efficiently, safer, securely, privately, right? So Bitcoin is trying to find ways to make itself be itself better instead of changing itself, right? So for example, SegWit increased the increased the block size by two, right? So it was, did not have to hard fork. It was still identifiable, but all of a sudden the block size is twice as big. Next thing that's coming up that people are talking about, Schnorr signatures. That makes it Bitcoin like almost, I think it's like 10x is efficient and is private for doing multi-sig. I'm assuming that's a soft fork. It is, again, it's a soft fork, right? So Bitcoin is still equally identifiable as what Bitcoin is, but again, boom, 10x improvement, right? So we had a 2x improvement, and again, that's super, super high level, like not technical, talking about the real, like, you know, you know, dig down, right? Now we're talking about, you know, a 10x improvement, right? Now we're talking about Bulletproof, something that made Monero, what, like uh, 95% more efficient? That's something that Bitcoiners are really fucking interested in, right? So all of a sudden, you know, hey, Bitcoiners change, right? But when they change, they're staying identifiable and their magnitude's better. Now you go look at ETH. We're changing into ETH 2.0. We're adding sharding, but we have no idea if sharding is actually going to improve it, especially if you go cross shards. Like, that is a completely different mindset. And in my opinion... I mean, no, they, they do know that it will improve it. They know that. I guess, maybe. Theoretically. Yes, they know that. Theoretically. They know that. They know that. We know that shards improve databases. Theoretically. It hasn't been done yet for a blockchain, so we don't know. Okay. But, I mean, okay, so is I mean, Bitcoin under attack? I mean, personally, I think that... A lot of things that Bitcoiner think is attack is not an attack. Altcoins not an attack. There's a lot of things that are not an attack that are actually good for Bitcoin. But at the same time, mm-hmm. you have to assume that the monetary system is going to be under attack, especially if it becomes um, formidable. Okay, so like the when I when I originally made that tweet, like Bitcoiners, the Bitcoin being under attack is a myth. I'm talking about like the big attack, right? Like the the JP Morgan, United States government, China attack, where they come in and they buy a bunch of ASICs and they attack the network and try and bring it down. Like that has has not happened. It probably won't happen. Probably will never ever happen. And it doesn't. And Bitcoin doesn't need that level of security to adjust for that. Because um, like in my opinion and my my cocky asshole demeaning opinion. It's like Bitcoiners are just out there. It's like, oh, like my blockchain is so valuable. Like Bitcoin is like the threat to all the bankers and like the bankers hate it and they're going to attack it, but like can't because it's decentralized and like everybody wants my blockchain, but they can't have it. But they're always trying to attack it. They're always trying to bring it down. I'm like, no, dude, they don't give a fuck. Like Bitcoin blockchains, what, $70 billion and, and how much is JP Morgan? Like a trillion? I don't know. But like they don't give a shit about your blockchain, bro. Like they're not attacking it. Like move on. It's not you're not that special. <laughs> no, I I totally understand because a lot of Bitcoiners have that attitude on on Twitter. But that's not what Bitcoin is. And again, because there's no governance um, and no clear way to make consensus changes, you know, it doesn't matter what people represent, right? Whereas in a world where there is governance and constant change, then your community and what people represent start to matter a lot more. And granted, you know. What people represent and what everyone does matters, right? But the degree of how it affects the system, that is, you know, shades of gray, right? So Bitcoin is on one whole side, whereas, like, you got to get everyone and you got to convince everyone to not only vote, but you got to convince them to change their hardware, right? That is the only way to get rid of the ledger and to change it, right? So, um, I, you know, I think that that is very interesting in, you know, a new kind of system. And I think that this whole thing is like, how do we get beyond human voting? Like, how do we get beyond interest rate manipulation, right? Bitcoin is offering like the new path. Bitcoin is the revolution because it's a new system instead of like, how do we use triple entry accounting 
on all this old stuff. So I totally value the getting beyond human voting thing. And that's why I think the only pr- appropriate place to have voting on Ethereum is like on protocols that aren't Ethereum, like MakerDAO or Zero X, or I guess you could c- consider Augur on-chain voting as, as well, um, but not on not with Ether. Like Ether strictly is a non-voting token, except except in the way that it votes on what chain to go on when you when you're staking. Uh, and and this is going back to what Andreas Antonopoulos talks about when he talks about unstoppable code. So I, but at the same time, human voting is a huge innovation in the stages of the human species. Like if we were once when uh, Ryan Sean Adams had this awesome tweet where it's like, you know, in the ten in, in year zero we had this aristocracy boot out this aristocracy, and then in year five hundred we had this aristocracy boot out this aristocracy, and that pattern continued until America, where we had this it uh, aristocracy boot out the uh, oh excuse me we had this aristocracy produced and replaced by a protocol, and now the protocol just runs. And that was super successful and America has been running ever since. And I kind of see that same pattern with Bitcoin and Ethereum, but human voting is still valuable. Like it, it didn't lose its value. We just have a new and improved system that is more socially scalable. Right. And so Ether, Ethereum and Bitcoin can be more socially scalable, scalable to more people because it doesn't have this voting mechanism built into the blockchain. But for stuff that's on top of the blockchain, like MakerDAO and and Zero X that and all these governance platforms, those we like the voting systems that we do know work, but just work at a smaller scale. They can they can exist and run off and and be operational. Totally. So I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, once you hit any meaningful scale, then the voting breaks. I personally think that that it's bad game theory. Mm-hmm. Well, see, Maker Maker DAO doesn't need to scale in terms of how many people own and and govern the Maker DAO system. Like we don't need one sing every single cdp holder and every single die holder to be voting in the maker dao system actually that's kind of what the maker token uh incentivizes against is it actually reduces the scale as to what you need to vote with and so it it, it lowers the responsibility of controlling the maker dao system into a much lower number of people that's scalable and that's why we can see 0.5 percent of the wallets voting in the maker dao system and still seeing 10 percent of mkr being used and effective governance uh patterns going through a16z pumping the uh the stability fees with their six percent room room let's go but in all Actually, seriousness hey, a16z isn't allowed to vote for like they have a lockup period of a, of a number of years no hey honestly like I, i'm just being facetious for the most part again no. but again trying to act or think adversarially as possible and when i say scale i don't mean like necessarily more voters but if half the world is running on die then all of a sudden that freaking vote matters a lot and it matters a lot to a mm-hmm. lot of people that is the scale mm-hmm. that i'm talking about um and can the system withhold attack at that level I don't know. Like, again, what Brandon is talking, well, referring back to the Brandon Quidham interview that we did, uh, we talked a lot about this idea of like the great filter for cryptocurrencies. And I still think, and I agree with him, that a nation state, a, like a US nation state attack is the great filter, right? Uh, an organization with massive amounts of resources attacking this decentralized organization is the great filter. And can your money system withhold that? I don't know. I think that's something that you have to keep in mind, even though it's unlikely that that attack will happen. Um, I do think that uh, you have to prepare for it. Totally. I'm out of comments. All right, sweet. And with that, we can do the outro that we're always meant to do 20 minutes ago. You can catch (laughs) me on Twitter at CK underscore snarks. You can catch the show at POV crypto pod. I'm not going to ask you to rate the show because we passed 50 a little bit ago and we've been asking the whole time and I want to keep our promise to the listeners that we won't ask about rating the show after we hit 50 reviews. So if you guys want to rate and review the podcast, please go to the iTunes store and give us a five-star review. We really, really appreciate it. They are so valuable to us. If we get to a hundred reviews, we will stop asking for reviews. I swear to God, you can find me at Trustless State, both on Medium and Twitter. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye, David.
my Christian. <laughs> Yo, I love that episode. Do you 